And now, more Educate on TalkZone.com. Here's Jonathan Jefferson. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back to the show and our discussion with Children International regarding educating girls living in poverty. Our next guest, Natalie, Natalie Foxworthy, is the Program Officer for Education and Youth Development at Children International. She served as a Peace Corps volunteer in El Salvador. In her experience working with Children International, the Foundation for Development of Women and Children, Peace Corps, and the Baja Project, she has provided technical support in the areas of youth development, education, evaluation, and community development in Latin America, Africa, and Asia. Natalie, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jonathan. Natalie, why is it important to challenge gender stereotypes and combat inequality? Natalie, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Um, well, I think part of that is for the equal, you know, capacity development of both men and women on an equal platform. Um, in the countries where we work, as you had mentioned earlier on the show, this term machismo, right, or chauvinism in English, where men in many of the cultures where we work are given, you know, the upper hand, they're given more opportunities, more decision-making powers, etc. Um, and the women are all are often, you know, given the back seat. So that is an issue that, you know, we constantly are seeing and we are addressing through the programs that we that we have. And it's essential to do that. As Kathy was mentioning some of the some of the statistics that when we offer these opportunities, these same opportunities to both girls and boys, um, not only do we see a better development in them as a person, but also in their communities and as a nation. Okay. Now, how does Children International's sports development program challenge gender stereotypes and help empower girls? Yeah, I would say that is one of our programs where we deal with this issue of gender um, in a very direct manner, um, especially in Latin America. Soccer, you know, is the is the number one sport. However, it's primarily seen as a male sport. Even though some girls play it, it's not as common. And so what we see it, and what we, what we first saw when we started implementing this program is we had, you know, a large number of boys coming out to participate and fewer girls because it was the first time we were putting boys and girls on the same teams together to participate and to play soccer. So at first, you know, it's this big shock for both both the boys and the girls. But, you know, the, the, that's the principles that we have in our Game On program. It's that everyone participates, everyone has fun, boys and girls play together, and they learn together. So, you know, with this issue of, of female empowerment and gender equality, it's extremely important that we put men and women on the same foot, that we're including both genders in our programs um, versus, let's say, just having a program focused only on girls. You know, that would help them build their skills. Um, however, a lot of times when we put them together with boys, that's where you really see the girls kind of shying away. So it's, it's just really important to get them both in there, participating together on equal on an equal platform. And we've seen results, you know, the girls coming out and saying, I was so shy to participate at first, um, but, you know, I, I, hung, I hang in there, and, and I really see the results of how my, 
my colleagues, my boy colleagues are now also supporting me, are listening to the decisions um, that I want to make in my opinion. And vice versa, the boys come out and say, you know, wow, we didn't want the girls to play with us at first, but they sure can get a lot of gold for us, you know? <laughs> so, so it goes both ways. Now, have you had the experience of when a program is initiated, a sports program, co-ed sports program, where the pushback is coming from the home, from the from the parents or the adults in the home? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. That is a challenge that we, even though the Game On program has been implemented for, you know, four years now, that is still a challenge that we're facing. And I would have to say that challenge is primarily faced in Latin America, where even though girls may be interested in participating, we get a we oftentimes get a pushback from the parents, and many times it is the father who's saying, you know, no, I do not want my daughter out there playing with girls, or she's just going to go out there to find a boyfriend, or she could get hurt. So it's this type of, you know, protecting of the girl, but at the same time it's limiting their right to participate. Um, and so what we've been doing in those cases, and this is something I've been working with all of our program staff on in the last year, is starting to include the, the parents more within our programs. So what does that mean? That means that at the beginning of each year, when we recruit our youth to participate, we also bring in the parents. We explain to them, you know, what is the program all about, why it's important for boys and girls to participate, and we let them voice their concerns then and there. And it acts as, you know, a sounding board so that they can kind of ask their questions and get more familiar with our programs but also to educate them on why it's important for boys and girls to be participating together in these programs. Um, you know, what are the benefits that their daughters will receive from participating, et cetera. So we also use this as an educational um, activity for the parents because it's so essential. We do see a difference. When the parents are more engaged, the quality of participation from the youth is much stronger. Excellent. In fact, I had a... Uh uh, an episode I did a, a few weeks back on scholar athletes. And one of the scholar athletes is a first generation. Um, her mom is from Honduras and her dad is from El Salvador. And she's the oldest child. So she said she spent years begging her father to allow her to join sports teams because it's so common here for girls to go out and play sports. Right. And and initially he said no for the exact same reasons you just mentioned. No, you, you know, you're going to get hurt, you know, you're, you know, you name it. But she finally wore him down <laughs> and she allowed her to play and she became the, her high school's, uh, scholar athlete of the year and salutatorian, um, from playing both soccer and softball. And now her younger sister, who's, you know, this, the, the scholar athlete I have on is a graduating senior, but her younger sister is coming into the ninth grade. And the younger sister has none of those barriers to deal with because dad now is the cheerleader. You know, he's, he's, he's out, you know, cheering for the girls when he gets time from work to go see them play and asking them how their game went when they came home. So, um, so it took, it took his daughter to break down the barrier. And I'm sure some of that may happen in, um, you know, in some of your programs as well, where the kids are the ones breaking down the barriers at home in more ways That's, than just sports, I'm sure. Yeah. I was just going to mention that. I mean, it's not, just sports. We see that really with all of our programs, um, and especially in the area of education. You know, kids are smart. They know what's up, and they know what's good for them. 
And a lot of the, the youth that I meet, they value their education. They value it dearly because they know that that is the way out of poverty, is continuing their education to the farthest point that they can that will help them get, you know, a, be- a better job and have a better future for them and their families. And so they value the education, and they push back when their parents try to take them out of school, especially the girls. I have seen that. Mm. Um, and, you know, what's really important is, is having these programs, our youth programs, build the necessary skills so that our, our youth can be persuasive and persuade their parents to let them stay in school or let them play on the soccer team um, or let them pursue a career that they want to pursue, right? The communication skills. Um, how to relate to others, all of these um, soft skills that we teach in, throughout all of our programs, in the youth programs, um, I have seen that, you know, being used by our youth at home, you know, when their parents try to push back. Um, especially in India, you know, we have a very serious issue in India of early marriage for our girls. Mm. And that's mm. the issue that the youth themselves have identified as very serious issue. And so what they've done is they have organized campaigns and rallies. They bring together panels of professionals to speak to the community. And they've reached um, thousands and thousands of community members discussing the risks of child marriage. And, um, you know, one case in particular, we had a youth who had learned all of these risks of child marriage through our youth programs and through these campaigns that our youth planned. And she found out that her parents were planning to marry her off. Mm. And so she became very concerned, and she approached Children International and our staff um, and her the, the local volunteer in her community and, and said, you know, she was really scared, and this was happening, and she let us know. And we were able to, to help her um, get the authorities involved also so that we prevented that, that marriage from happening. And that's just one example that I specifically heard about, but mm-hmm. I know that that does happen. Um, with other girls, not only in India, but in all of the countries, whether they're pushing back to stay in school or, like you said, join a sports program. Um, some of them are doing a really good job of persuading their parents and educating their parents as well. Well, what you just mentioned regarding India and how not only did Children International get involved, but how they also got authorities involved. One of the questions I initially had for uh, for Kathy, but I didn't get a chance to ask it, was, uh, regarding children birthing children, does Children International lobby governments to encourage more protections for children? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so Children International, one of our um, you know primary objectives is child protection. It's extremely important to us. Um, in 2013, we spent um, you know several months enhancing and strengthening our child protection policy. Um, Kathy mentioned, you know, that all of our staff receive an intensive and all of our volunteers receive an intensive child protection policy. Um, and so that is something that's extremely important to us. And so when you're talking about children, birthing children, that falls into that category. So the, the education piece goes with it, right? So mm-hmm. through those campaigns that we offer, through the programs, we're educating our children, we're educating our youth, um, parents, community members. And that also includes educating, educating governments and, and local institutions about these issues, how they can get involved to support us. Since, you know, we're on the ground, we're the ones who are seeing this firsthand every day, and families are mm-hmm. coming to us for support. 
we don't always have the resources or the, the, ser- the proper services or professionals um, to address those issues, right? We don't have legal services, for example. Um, but that is something we can support our families to receive that assistance. So we do educate um, local institutions and governments on the issues that we're seeing and how we think that those issues can be addressed and how we can work together. Okay. Now, um, I'm going to go off topic a little bit. Kathy mentioned that Children International started back in, I guess, 1979, or maybe they were in Guatemala since 1979. But who founded or what group founded Children International? How, how did it get its roots and get and get started? Right. So Children International was originally founded in 1936. It was founded in Kansas City, which is why the headquarters are in Kansas City. It's a question we normally get, you know, how did you get to Kansas City? Well, that's where the organization <laughs> was born. Um, and traditionally, the organization was, you know, a charity organization going to, you know, conflict areas, extremely poor countries, and and giving, you know, any aid that was needed in that situation. And then in the 80s is when we started to introduce sponsorship. So what the organization is now today as a sponsorship organization started in the 1980s. Okay, so that's actually that's relatively recent then. Right. You know, the, spon- mm-hmm. the sponsorship piece. Okay, excellent. Okay, at this yeah, time we need so- to take a sh- um, so, I'm sorry. At this time we do need to take a short break, but we'll we'll be back soon uh, right after this. You're listening to Educate on TalkZone.com. Back to Jonathan Jefferson. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back to the show and our discussion with our guest, Natalie Foxworthy, Program Officer for Education and Youth Development at Children International. We have about 10 minutes left in our show, so if you'd like to get a question in and join our conversation, the phone lines are open, 888-463-6748. That's 888-463-6748. Natalie, uh, are you still with us? Yes, I'm here. Okay. Well, you get the tough questions as we, as we, uh, close out the last quarter of this show. Uh, okay. what, adi- okay, what additional efforts, if any, are provided to children who identify as LGBT, lesbian, gay, uh, bisexual, or transgender? Right. Um, I'd say that, you know, we do have a policy of inclusion and as I was, mentioning just prior to the break, um, our child protection policy. So that both of those go, go hand in hand. Um, we don't discriminate. We focus on equality and we want all of our youth, no matter what, um, you know, gender, sexual, religious background they come from, everyone is invited to participate. Um, this issue of equality and inclusion and how to accept others who are different from ourselves, those issues are discussed in our youth programs, I would say, throughout almost all of them. Um, in the youth health core, it's, this is a topic that's discussed, especially because that's, um, you know, discussing health issues. Um, mm-hmm. Also within our social and financial education program, you may ask, okay, what does financial education have to do with um, gender or equality? But we do focus... Um, on the rights and responsibilities that children and youth have. We focus on personal exploration. So youth, we have our children and our youth understand who they are, um, look at others, look at their, their surroundings, their families, their communities, and how they're relating with those other people and doing so 
in an inclusive and an equal manner. Yeah, one one of the reasons I brought that particular question up is because when I was looking at your article or the Journey's article, Breaking the Rules, and a young man in, in um, actually I forget which country he was in, but he was doing traditionally, you know, women's roles, helping around the house, cleaning, what have you. And I know that just from my experience, having been to Jamaica and, and, and a couple of other places, the stigma against homosexuality is so fierce that, you know, what we call staying in a closet, they stay in a completely locked closet. But when they find people and they tend to believe Americans, and I think we are, <laughs> they, they tend to believe Americans are more accepting so that when they, um, one experience I had when I was in Guatemala, one of the, one of the Americans that was with me, um, in this in, immersion had the experience of, uh, a, a young man running up to him who was gay, but could never tell anybody that because it was such mm-hmm. a huge and dangerous, literally a dangerous stigma. Or I shouldn't say dangerous stigma. So it was dangerous. Um, uh, it was dangerous to be um, gay or lesbian, and specifically uh, gay and a homosexual in um, certain countries. So they found, they saw Americans to be more accepting, and that's when they would, you know, come out or or you know reveal themselves. So, um, but seeing how this young man has support from his parents, the young man in the article, you kind of answered my question is why he's able to do what he he does so comfortably. And it's because he has that family support. And I'm sure that's the type of education and support that, that uh, Children International gives as well. Exactly. Uh, uh, now, now I'm getting into more personal questions because I, I, I shared the experience I had, uh, I believe it was in 2009, when my, my child aged out. You know, she, <laughs> she was she was 19 and going on 20 and that was it. After mm-hmm. ooh, seven years of, and she was a, a prolific writer. So we, we communicated quite a bit. And of course I visited her. So, uh, when a child ages out of sponsorship, can they still benefit from children's international services? Yes. Um, that's a great question. You know, it is a question that a lot of sponsors ask and a lot of people wonder. And what's great is that the youth, the children and youth, while they're, they're, you know, within the age of the sponsorship program, they feel such love and support and, you know, the support from our staff, from the volunteers, going to our community centers, having that safe space to participate, to be themselves, etc. And they really cling on to that. Um, and so many of our youth who, once they age out of sponsorship, they come back and they want to continue participating as volunteers, as mentors, um, you know, in in India, they have just started this year an alumni club of ex-sponsored youth, and so this wow. is this is extremely common that they continue to participate, um, to come back, and they become leaders. Many times, we often see that the program had such a strong impact, and they want to work for Children International, and mm-hmm. because of you know the help through scholarships that the program has been able to provide them, they've gotten their university education, and they come back and apply, and they're working as field officers, um, you know, all the it's the whole gamut. We have ex-sponsored youth who, one is even a program manager. Wow. So I yeah, think yeah. those are some very, very powerful stories when you see that they've gone through the program and then come back to work with the organization. Now, I'm, I'm sure this has happened, too, because Children's International is so large now. Um, has a child in, let's say, their mid-20s, um, and maybe that's because I'm being hopeful. 
ever reached out to Children International and said, can I get in touch with my sponsor? You know, uh, just right. to write a note that. or whatever the case might be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think w- while the child was, is within the sponsorship program and because we do have those child protection policies, um, while they're, you know, under the age of 18, we have the, the letter writing like you referred to, mm-hmm. which is kind of filtered by Children International. However, once the youth leaves the program, it is really up to them and up to the sponsor whether or not to continue communication. So because then CI really doesn't have any, we don't play that intermediary role anymore. So really it, it is up to the youth and the sponsor. And we have seen cases of that where they continue to communicate for, for several years, especially if the bond has been very strong with regular letters, like you're mentioning a visit. Um, we have seen cases like that. Yeah. Well, my concern is that, you know, I would have, I would have no idea how to contact, you know, she's, she's a young lady now, but, and I don't think she would have any idea how to contact me because we always used the Children International intermediary, which is necessary for, you know, for protections and stuff like you mentioned, you know, so we never strayed from that. You know, we never exchanged personal addresses or anything like that. That's why I was curious to, if somebody in their mid twenties came back to Children International and said, how can I find my sponsor? I just wanted to know if that would be facilitated just to the point of, well, we'll check with the sponsor, and if they say yes, we'll give you the address, and then, then you're on your own. Is is even that much done? Yes, I think that that type of um, request would go through our sponsor relations department, and, um, you know, either the sponsor or the child would get get in touch with the organization and call our sponsor services and, and have that conversation. And like you're saying, you know, it would have to be approved on both ends and then um, see if they can get back in touch. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm only, a, the reason I was aware of the, the both ends piece um, is because I'm also adoptive parent. My son is now 24, but I adopted him strangely enough around the same age <laughs> as uh, my sponsored child, you know, mm-hmm. um, and we, in our efforts to have him get in touch with his biological uh, parents, uh, it, Unfortunately, that never happened, but it, because it was the same, the same rule, it has to be on both ends. Um, right. and, and, you know, I'm a little bit more aware than he was of the issues that the family that gave him up had. So he doesn't realize that it was probably in his best interest not to reconnect, but they, they understood that. And that's why they said no. But, um, I do understand it has to be both ways. Um, but I, I just think this is important information for anyone who's considering sponsorship to understand the, the limitations. First of all, the benefits are extraordinary and, and far outweigh any any uh, shortcomings so i want to make that make that point as well um and like i said if i can sponsor more um i certainly would I am, i'm always asked as you know <laughs> so but anyway i have at this time we have to go we have been speaking with natalie foxworthy program officer for education and youth development at children international if you would like to learn more about children international visit their website at www.children.org and like them on facebook natalie thanks so much for joining us thank you so much jonathan all right that's all the time we have for today thank you for listening to educate with dr jefferson tune in next week as we continue to tackle the truth behind schoolhouse doors 